And welcome back to No More Nonversations. My guest this evening is going to be Summer Justice. He's got the coolest name around. Definitely sounds like a superhero. Um, Summer, how are you doing this evening? Really well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. This yeah, really my cool. pleasure. Glad you could come on and join me. Uh, so for the listeners out there, uh, the reason or the how this conversation came about specifically was Summer called me up because I had a bike accident. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, it was a semi-serious accident, not so serious. Uh, went over the front of the handlebars, uh, heard my teeth hit the pavement, and later on I found that my teeth actually went through my top lip, uh, required six stitches, two front teeth were chipped, and in the process of getting that all patched up so I can get that Hollywood smile, you know, walk that red carpet at some point. Uh, <laughs> so appreciate you checking on me, Summer, and, and sure, uh, come to find out you had a little spill of your own. I did, I did. I, um, so first of all, let me say that actually I was talking to Kareem and Kareem was like, Hey, why don't you give Mike a call? So maybe Kareem will be a future guest, but I was like, you know what? Let me give Mike a call. So that's why I got to give credit where credit's due. I was like, let me call Mike up and see what's okay. up. Cause I didn't realize how bad the, the crash was that you had, mm-hmm. but s- similar circumstance. Um, I guess you'll go into the details of yours, but mine was broad daylight. So that's a one thing that. I'm kind of like, what was I really doing? But I guess you live and you learn on the bike. But just going at not a fast speed, cut to the right, and braked at the same time. And I think I was on a slick surface. And I guess that's just a no-no in general. I'm still going to ask the experts and go to the people who know better. But I guess doing that caused my rear wheel to fishtail. And then I tried to get control of the bike. But it's kind of one of those things where if you don't know what's happening, you just don't quite know what to do and lost control of the bike, fell off of the left side, and just broke, felt, felt a snap, and that was my collarbone breaking. So, still in the sling. Uh, felt, felt a snap. So you put your, your hand down to try to brace? No, I, I just fell down. Which I think I was trying to fall on my shoulder because I thought that was going to be the least likely to like break the mm-hmm. least. It wasn't going to be my head. It wasn't going to be my hips, so my legs would still work. But landing on my shoulder ended up doing what apparently is a classic incident for cyclists is breaking your collarbone and uh the collarbone just broke and i got up and i couldn't really move my left arm didn't know why and then i realized oh that whole collarbone thing connects to your arm to help it move the shoulder so if that's broken then you're gonna have a lot of difficulty moving your whole arm so that's why they put it in the sling got it so i didn't even know that was a, a common cyclist injury um, so, cause like for me, this is like, I've, you know, done sports my entire life. And this is one of, I'd say two injuries that required me to have medical attention. I've been fortunate enough to where, you know, I can kind of walk it off or sit out for a few days and give and be good again. Um, and fortunately this one wasn't that serious, but I'm at a, I'm at an impasse where I have to decide whether or not I want to get back on the bike at all or if I do to what capacity. And I think I'm, I have to make that decision now because I don't have that long of an attachment to cycling. I started cycling this year as part of the, uh, the lockdown and it was just a great community of people, great way to get exercise and great way to scratch that competitive itch. So it's been just a few months for me. How long have you been cycling? 
I got my first, I've been cycling my whole life. I used to do mountain biking when I was a kid growing up in Altadena, but I started cycling, road cycling more seriously in 2013. So about seven years now, okay. seven, eight years. Yeah. So you have like a, is it safe to say that you've, you've got a passion for the sport? I love cycling. Yes. Okay. I love it. It's a great form of exercise, but I, I, I will admit that I've been cycling more in the last year and the last year and a half really than I have, or maybe the last two years that was due to some coworkers and then COVID-19 happened and we're all out cycling and everyone's out and about and it was a great way to get out and escape your house. Right. Right. It definitely is. Now oh, I got the, the privilege to ride with you on that 100 mile ride we did from LA to where did we go? Was it to Oxnard? Oxnard and back. And, yep. and back. And that was, that was quite the trip. And like, I, I, I held my own. I'm, I'm proud of myself. That was my first time yeah. doing a hundred miles, held my own, but you didn't even seem to break a sweat. So, nah. <laughs> and well, if, if I recall, you're a, uh, you also have an athletic background outside of cycling too. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Much like yourself. Track and field, I, right? Long jumper. Track field, did track and field, long jump, high jump, triple jump, pole vault. Uh, okay. Cross country too. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Got it. So you definitely, that definitely explains why you just kill everybody on the rides and especially <laughs> you, got, you got the lungs for it and then going uphill can't, Nobody can keep up with you, man. Nope. It, it, really, it still blows my mind. It's really humbling to, you know, to see the caliber of athlete. Because at times I like to feel like I'm the cream of the crop, you know. And then it's like, oh, this is what, like, small Division One school does. It's like a real athlete. It's like, oh, okay. I see. I see. Now I see where I was at. I understand. I understand now. But uh, while we were on the ride, like, I had had a huge dinner the night before, carb-loaded and everything. Um, and I didn't, I don't usually eat breakfast, so I skip breakfast. Uh, but we had, we stopped a few times on the ride. And, but throughout the whole ride, you mostly just snacked on gummy bears. So how does that work? <laughs> you know, so everybody's different. I don't, I don't, I don't claim to know the diet of a cyclist and what's the best diet. I think everyone's a little different. What I do is I have a big carb loaded, but healthy breakfast. I'll do oatmeal with some nuts and put some bananas in there and a big old scoop of almond butter. So I'm saying, I'm, I think I'm knocking out probably about 800 calories just for breakfast. And that's just in my stomach. So it's dissolving. It's also, it's a kind of a meal that I've read is like a slow digesting meal. So it doesn't disappear instantly. It's kind of your body's using it throughout the ride. Uh, I guess a slow digesting carb. So for me, if I start to lose energy a little bit, I'll just like pop some sugar and that sugar is going to be used instantly. So for me, I love gummy bears. I like the way they feel. I, I like the way they chew. It kind of gives me something to like chew on while I'm writing. It's for me, it's, I don't know what it is, something I like to do. So it gives me that burst of energy. I use it instantly and I'll just do that, and mainly I just want water. Water, liquids, that keeps me going on a ride. And then when I'm done with the ride, then that's the time to just eat like a beast and drink and usually throw in some beers too, so. Okay, okay. Now, that's still, I mean, that makes sense. Like you're, you're eating a huge, slow digesting meal beforehand, and then afterwards you, you carve it up, go ham. But am, am, I, am, am I correct? 
insane in what I heard. Like for that hundred miles that we rode from LA to Oxnard and back, on that ride, you only had water and gummy bears. You know, I really can't. No, I think I have more than that. I think no, you know, actually, I did only have water and gummy bears for that ride. But let me also let me actually clarify though too is I. I've been riding for years, but you hadn't been riding for years. But you're an athlete. I could tell by the way you were riding on that, that you, you made it. You were fast. You were up at the front. For me, like, that wasn't as much of a workout as it might have been for you, even though you were keeping up with us. So when I did the same equivalent 100 miles, but then I also did, like, 10,000 feet of elevation together, I had, like, uh, everything. I had a friggin' uh, – three bars. I had a Belgian waffle that was as big as my head. And I ate all that during the ride. So my body needed more energy for that ride. And I learned something about myself than I ever needed for any of the flatter rides. So right. it was just a difference. Kind of like, depending my body, I just listen to my body. My body tells me eat this. I'm like, eat that. If my body is like, that's too much, then I won't eat it. And I'll feel more comfortable just waiting till the end of a ride to eat. Okay. Got it. That, that actually makes makes a lot of sense and makes me feel a lot better uh, because that was I was still pretty new you know just a few months in the game and like you said you've been riding for years so that actually makes sense that that ride actually wasn't that hard for you and 100 miles sounds like a lot especially to someone who hasn't been cycling but to the cycling community it's it's not that that crazy yeah um and, and so, by the way I must say, if you had gone on the ride that I went on that was 10,000 feet, I was actually 13,000 feet of elevation. There were people on that ride, pros, who I saw them maybe three times. I saw them once when we all made it to the top because they were already there. And then I saw when we made it to the top of the other big mountain because they were already there. So they were, they were above and beyond anything I've ever experienced. And wow. that was humbling for me right. to see. 13,000 miles, 13 miles, 13,000 feet of elevation. That's, that's pretty impressive right there. That's, that's humbling. It was very humbling for me. Man, I saw the, uh, I went to the Pasadena um, races that they have like once a week or something and saw some of those guys ride and it's, it, they're, they're insane. Like it is, it's just to say, so like, tell, tell me this. So for me, like I had never really been a hardcore cyclist until this summer, at least gotten into it pretty seriously. And there's just a, a certain kind of freedom about it. You know, like being on two wheels, your senses got to be like, you got to be hyper aware, uh, you know, picking up speeds 40, 50 miles an hour at times. Uh, you know, the camaraderie of the people that you're riding with, you've got the, the cars passing you. Some of them are nice and they honk and wave. Some of them, or like pass by you and only give you a foot of room or less because they just yeah. don't care. Um, but it's definitely about that adrenaline rush. And afterwards, you, you, I feel amazing after it, and everybody does that I've talked to. But what is it specifically about the activity of cycling that keeps you coming back? Man, you couldn't have described it better. Like that, that adrenaline rush combined with the feeling of flying. I think that's the way you put that as an amazing feeling. And freedom. You know, I'm sure you get the same thing when you're out in the middle of the ocean and you love surfing, which I don't do, but I'm sure if I was a surfer, I would get the same kind of adrenaline on the board or just floating out there weightless in water. But that feeling of being able to go traverse great distances in a very short amount of time, uh, those are all things I love about cycling. And then, of course, the people. You're meeting these people. You're learning from people. And 
it kind of becomes a thing to do where you can go out. Um, I, I personally, I'm kind of like you. I like the, the fitness aspect of it because I'm, I want to do something that's both fun and keeps me fit. It's not just like going in the gym and doing this monotonous treadmill where you're just kind of looking at the same wall or you're looking at a TV, watching TV. To me, I like to be outside. I like the way the sun feels on me. So I think that cycling kind of ticks all the, the boxes. It's going to help me get fit. It's going to be fun. You have cool people to go out with and you just get that, that amazing post-workout feeling where you're like, man, I can just conquer the world. Let's go. Right, right. right. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely, I completely resonate with that. And it's because you're right, you know, you know, you being an athlete, you know what going to the gym on a regular basis is, is like, you know, just lifting weights, you know, doing going through the motions that that's very strict regimen is, you know, but to get outside of that, be a little more free with your movement, still stay, stay in shape, but have some fun and, you know, socialize at the same time. That was huge. And it's, uh, you know, I've, I've really been discovering like I've been exploring different aspects of exercise and nutrition it's like what is like to be honest it's like i'm looking for the the laziest form of activity where i could maintain like a decent physique <laughs> <laughs> and uh for like for me like it's but like it's you can't be lazy if you're cycling if you're a serious cycler there's nothing lazy about it because no. it's, it's super low imp but it, it really is like forgiving on the body like it's very low impact on the joints uh, the knees, the ankles, the feet, Great all of points. that. Um, but for me, it's like, I, again, I'm still like at this point figuring out like in what capacity I get back into cycling because it's like, that was my reality check. It's like, oh, I mean, you know, logically speaking, it's like, yes, yeah, cycling is dangerous. We see pictures and, and see accidents online all the time. It's like, yes, yeah, cycling is dangerous. But that was my personal reality check. Like, this is really dangerous. Like, do you still want to participate in the same way at the same frequency so like how do you get over the the aspect of having a semi-serious injury and, and knowing that you do want to get back on the bike at some point man that's a deep question um so there's like i don't you've probably seen these on the side of the road but this is not the first time where i've been like do i want to do something that's gonna might hurt me potentially but um, there's been many instances where you see things that make you go, maybe I don't want to do this because it might be dangerous to my health. So but they have say, these things called. You, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. They, you probably saw this thing. They have these things called ghost bikes. Have you seen these on the side of the roads? What does it look like? It's like an all white bike, um, that usually has flowers around it, but it's like next to some place, maybe next to a pole or next to, um, on the side of a fence, but they're ghost bikes and they put them, they're basically like bike memorials for bicyclists who have been killed on the side of the road. And you see them popping up. I don't know when the tradition began. I don't even know the history behind it. I probably should research, should research it and find out, but I used to see those. I lived in Orange County for a minute. I think we both did, <clears throat> but living down in Orange County, you'd see those all over the place. And then I started reading stories about these cyclists because these are cyclists who it's such a small community as you and I know, they knew these same people. So they put these, and so the community is like, hey, we're gonna remember this person. So I started seeing those around and, it's, and I'd see them on like bike routes where I was going solo out and I'd be like, oh, there's a ghost bike. And I'd be kind of worried like, oh, that could have been me. 
it almost puts you in that position. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing less. But then at a certain point, um, I ran into people who love cycling. And their, actually their love of cycling made me so excited that they love cycling so much and they had done so much more and they were still fine that I was like, you know what, let me do some cycling. And at right. a certain point, it's almost like my mind blocked out the fact that, oh, this could be dangerous and it could be bad. And it's maybe cliche to say, but many things we do can be dangerous and many things we do can be bad. Driving is probably one of the most dangerous things that we do. Of course, you're protected by a big piece of metal, but you know, and when you're on a bike, you're next to them a lot of the time. Right. But it's, you know, we take these risks because of the love of it. But when we stop, it might be for this or that reason. Maybe it's because you have kids and you're like, oh, I don't want to ride because I have kids. But I know many cyclists who have kids and they're like trying to wait till Sunday just so they can get out to do the bike ride. Because just like the mundane family life is cool and it's great. You love your children and you love your wife, but you're ready to get out mm-hmm. and enjoy life. So I feel blessed. I feel like we're lucky to be able to do this in this stage of our life and just kind of be able to get out, do what we want, have fun, enjoy the sun and all that wonderful stuff. So right. I don't know if that really even answers the question, but it's something that I'm passionate enough about to take that risk. Yeah, no, that definitely answers the question because, I mean, you mentioning the ghost bikes, I'm pretty sure I've seen them, but I never really put two and two together. And um, and, and now that you're, you're saying about the ghost bikes, it's, it's making me think, well, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something that I have to process now. It's like, oh, shit, that's right. Like, <laughs> that it, it, is a, it is a dangerous activity, but I, I, think you, I think you said it best. It's like when you're passionate about something, like you just block it out. But it's something that you have considered. It's not something that you're ignoring. It's something that you've considered. And I've seen you ride. You're a very safe rider, you know. And as I've, um, as I've talked to, you know, other, other riders, I, I didn't really understand um, some of the, the more seasoned riders when I first started because they were mm-hmm. so strict. You know, you ride with some groups and they're like, no music, you know, don't do this. And you got people constantly giving direction. I never really understood why. I was like, we're just cycling, guys. We've been doing this since we were like five years old. It's not that serious. But it, like, after ex- having, having my accident, it makes it, more serious for me and really understand like why they are so particular about like how they ride when they ride. I know a number of serious riders that say they never ride it at, at night, you know, and you know, um, so it, it, um, I think you're approaching it from the right way. It's like you've processed everything. You're very aware of the dangers and the activity and you also do everything in your power to make sure that you're riding safely. And I think that that's what, that that's probably a huge component in what it takes to be able to feel comfortable enough internally to block it out and continue in that activity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing you mentioned about riding safe is I think like a lot of the accidents that do occur aren't just the driver's fault. A lot, mm-hmm. sometimes it's the cyclist, oftentimes it's the cyclist and you know, I've ridden with enough cyclists. They have all their different philosophies and theories, but I know some that will never go through a red light, even if it's, if there's no um, traffic on the right-hand side that can come through, they won't even go through it even knowing full well that they have that, even though it's, it's a red light, there's no car that could hit them because no car can go straight anyway. So, so it's kind of like they just don't do it on principle because they don't want to um, just confuse drivers. When drivers are out there, when they have unpredictability in the cyclists, then they're like, oh, 
well, if the cyclist is going to do this crazy thing, then either they get really pissed off at cyclists or they just don't even know what the cyclist is going to do. You ever get that person in front of you who just slows down and, you know, they're blocking your way, but they don't want to hit you. So they just slow down, but they're making it worse because they don't know what to do because they're around cyclists. Right. I think that those are people who have been around a lot of, they're either really bad drivers or they've been around many unpredictable cyclists and they don't know what you're going to do. Right. Right. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause I've, I'm actually, you know, as far as like, cause that's, that's a huge point. I think, you know, when we're in the, some of the more casual groups that I ride in, you know, the mentality is to, um, to, to look at drivers as always being the bad guy. Mm. Uh, but, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. Uh, taking, taking more, more risks when I'm riding in a group. Cause there's something, there's something about riding in a group that makes you feel like you're uh, a little, you're, you're immune to, you're immune to things like you're bigger than you are. Um, you know, I've definitely taken more risk when I'm in a group and I, you know, ran a couple of lights myself with a quick look left, right. And that's, unfortunately it's kind of commonplace in these more casual groups who haven't been around the the community long enough to see any really serious injuries. Um, yeah. it's something that I wish the, uh, the casual groups that I, I've ridden with would kind of really take a little more, more serious as far as like just obeying the, the rules of the, um, of the road, because it's a car against a bike and regardless yeah. of whose fault it is, the bike is going to lose. Like, yes the bike is going to lose so it's like it's imperative to take the most responsibility you can as a um uh, as a cyclist um you know it's in in in, in uh, yeah i'm again I, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of it just feeling like powerful in a sense uh you know when there's a group around me it's like there's a group so they obviously see all 50 of us so yeah. i can be a little more aggressive with my riding around this 3000 pound vehicle, which is the completely wrong mindset to have when you're on a bike. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's, I think it's, I've been told before that the biggest, the, the, the biggest accidents happen or they're most common when there's group rides. I've been told that by a police officer before who said he quit road biking altogether because he's seen so many road biking accidents. And I was like, why are you telling me this right now? Cause I still have 20 miles to get home. But he just wanted to tell me when I stopped at the bathroom somewhere. So I was like, thanks for letting me know that this is a dangerous thing that I'm doing. And that was one of those wake up call moments where I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to ride less because this cop just told me that it's dangerous to ride the bike. But then I just got back on. I realized that there's so much that we can do as cyclists to make it safer for everybody. Right. And I think these groups you're talking about, the undisciplined groups are groups that some of them probably even just emerged during the, the quarantine because mm -hmm. you're stuck in your house. You're trying to figure out a way to get exercise. The gym is closed. You're a healthy person. So getting on a bike is a fun way to do that. But at the same time, there's like an etiquette. It's kind of like maybe even seem kind of like weird that there's a bike etiquette, but there's a whole biking world and etiquette where I've learned a lot in just the last year as well where you do some things, you don't do other things, you know, you want to, you know, the clip in shoes is like, it's kind of like, are you clipping in or you're not, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you see someone who, who has a certain appearance and you're like, Oh, there, this person is this way on the biking scale of professionalism to entry to, you know, not really trying to get the, not really trying to get to that pro level, but there's like a whole etiquette around it. And I think that, uh, when you're looking at cycling from the outside in, you just see cycling. 
and you don't realize that there's going to be those people who are the asshole cyclists who are just going to be all up in the street and there's going to be those cyclists who are not who are going to obey the rules to the best of their ability and try to stay alive by by staying safe and being cognizant inside of a big group of people as to things on the ground you know mm -hmm. and as you right. mentioned i won't ride at night i will not ride at night at all okay i think that's just super dangerous right right and that's and that's when i was riding actually i was that's when my accident happened it was at night and uh the guy in front of me dropped his 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 light <laughs> um but um and it, but it, it was my fault because i was looking back at, at the light and um i didn't get my head back around fast enough and he had uh he had slowed down or stopped i don't even really remember what happened but i think it's i think it's uh at, you know again to what you said is it being a little cliche but like um accidents happen you know, anytime you're doing an activity, regardless of what you're doing, even if you're running or you're, you know, doing CrossFit or you're on the treadmill or whatever you're doing, the accidents will happen. So it's about taking um, the most responsibility that you can uh, to make it as safe as possible. So, so you can feel, feel that uh, internal contentment to push the, the worries aside and continue in that activity. But um, so tell, tell me this, because I, like you said, you're paying attention to a lot of things. You know, we're often going, you know, 30 miles an hour, uh, you know, dodging potholes, looking at debris in the street, other riders around us, cars, pedestrians. There's a lot of things to consider. So have you been able to identify any carryover from cycling into your everyday life? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know, but I do know that when I walk down the street or I'm in a car, I have tendencies to do things that I do when I was on a bicycle. So like, I'll, I'll be, I guess I'll be a little more cognizant. I'll kind of like look around to the right and look around to the left. Sometimes I'll do things and I'm like, why am I doing this? Because it doesn't really matter because I can't really see the way I would normally see in a car like or in a bike because in a bike you have a full kind of almost like a right 70 degree you kind of turn you can't see directly behind you but you can see like most everything in a car you've got like that big thing on the side so you can't see when you look to the left but you still kind of should look into your blind spot but it's kind of like you have that blind spot where you just won't be able to see anything because you've got a piece of the car there right but and i actually find myself feeling kind of limited when i'm inside of a car now mm. um but I'll have like, even when I'm riding passenger in a car, I'll, I think I'm more cognizant of, of cyclists. For instance, something I never used to do before I started riding a bike seriously was look to my right over my blind spot when I made a right. Mm -hmm. Because it could be a pedestrian crossing, but usually pedestrians are going kind of slow, so they'll just back up. But if it's a bike coming and you make a right, you could ride right into that bike. Right. So a lot of people when they're riding, when they start riding bikes, they start to be more aware, myself included, uh, uh, of pedestrians and cyclists and debris, all kinds of things that you wouldn't normally think about when you're riding in your car. Right. Yeah. Same, same here. Cause it, it is kind of limiting. You do feel like you have this almost, you know, 170 degree uh, view or 180 degree view without obstruction on a bike yeah. and a car. I, I've, I've been a little careless and I've definitely, uh, it's, there, there's been some carryover. It's like a, a PTSD for me. It's like, okay, it's like, how often am I not looking in the direction that I'm going when I'm driving, you know, like literally being in the car and just checking the phone for a quick text message. It's like, nope, not doing that. Like, not wow. doing that. Like, everything can change 
at the drop of a hat, <laughs> you know. Since the accident? Since the accident, yeah. I've been, wow. It's made me hyper aware of wow. any time that I'm moving forward, even if I'm walking and there's a, like in the grocery store and there's someone pushing their cart in front of me and it's like, nope, there's somebody in front of you. Make sure you know exactly what they're doing before you turn and look at the ice cream in the freezer, in the freezer aisle, you know? <laughs> It's just like a hyper awareness. So if somebody stops in front of me, obviously it's just a person. There's not going to be any harm, but it's like my body's hyper aware now. I'm like, no, pay attention, pay attention, pay yeah. attention. Yeah, so. <laughs> I can relate to that. I've had a lot of that, and it wasn't just because of the accident. There's been a lot of close calls. And the thing about a close call is you kind of tend to forget about it when you have them every once in a while. But when you have close calls like regularly and you know that it, it might have been your own fault, they'll start to like – stick in your mind and then I, I can see exactly what you're saying like the grocery cart in the store you know running or running, like yep. walking fast you know even when i'm crossing the street i'm like looking there's a lot of hit and runs in long beach so i'm just like <laughs> right i do like four they say look twice i'm just like five times like, right 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 just to be <laughs> extra sure <laughs> extra sure i'm like gonna run no i completely get that and there's um and I, I think I wonder if there's if there's anybody else that ex has experienced this, but it's like whenever you try a new activity, it's like you're activating new parts of the brain. Um, so mm -hmm. it's like that you're that you're seeing the world in a slightly different aspect. So it's like for me, uh, going you know, 40, 50 miles an hour down a canyon, and you know you're you're assessing like your brain is processing like every little thing, like the little pebble to the left and like mm. who's on your right and like when you're leaning into this turn like how hard you're you're pulling on the brake and so i for i i think there i can't say definitively that there's been carryover for me in that respect um into like work life or things like that but i think there has been um been a heightened awareness as far as like uh, conversations are concerned uh you know just picking up on like uh you know, cues or body, body language or certain things that they say. It's like, I'm, I'm hyper aware to, it's like, I can, it's like, I can turn it on when I want to, if, if I'm not mm. paying attention, I can almost access that hyper awareness that I have when I'm bombing down a hill at 50 miles an hour is, and I can, I can activate that awareness in the middle of a conversation. If I, if I choose to almost, is that weird? No. Bionic man. No, the bionic man. Yes. You are superhuman. Uh, I try, I try to. This, a, this should be train. like army training. Like ride a bike. Ride a bike. Absolutely. <laughs> we're going to throw crap at you that you have to dodge. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, there, there's a term, meta-human, meta that I'm trying to that kind of like. But we'll see. Well, I think my... Can you still hear me? I think my connection's acting up. I like it. <laughs> Can you still hear me? I think my connection's acting up. Yeah, I still hear you. You're like jerking a little bit. Got it. Yeah, I hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. It's a little delayed, I see. Got it. It's something about the area that I think. But um, so, like, so you've done track and field, you've done mountain biking, and you've done road biking. Have you done any other, other sporting activities? Uh, not really. I mean, I did Taekwondo when I was young. Um, I think that was about, what else did I do? Well, I, I had like a personal trainer. 
who like okay. got me all yoked up before right, I went right. to Europe. He got me, he's like, had me on the diet and the weights. And so I just looked all chiseled up. Nice. Adonis, nice. if you will. Okay. And then you have to eat like very specific meals. Otherwise you just, will just regret, re regress back in, or what is the word? Revert back to your former mm. creaturely forms and just be all the way back to what you were before you started doing everything special. So that's about it. <laughs> and uh, well, I've done, I've actually managed uh, a few parkour gyms um, outside of track and field. I played some football in high school. What? I, I did. Yeah, I was uh, <clears throat> managing some parkour gyms. And um, I will, I will say for a fact that after learning to do parkour, I feel like it made me smarter. Um because it's, it's your body moving in ways that you never thought that it would or even could move, you know, just even like a simple things, things, something simple as a backflip, you know, being upside down. And then you, you graduate to things like jumping from rail to rail, 10 feet in the air. So things that you would never thought that you, that look completely dangerous, but um, it's uh it definitely gives you a new lens on the world. The world kind of, you kind of, walk outside down the sidewalk and the world is your playground almost. So you strike me as someone who likes, which is interesting about the bike thing that this did. And it makes sense to me, like post-traumatic stress syndrome from events like that makes sense. But you strike me as someone, Mike, who like likes thrill, likes to live life on the edge. Um, maybe, maybe you like every type of, or you, you like to try new things. That's the kind of person you strike me as. Yes, yes, you hit the nail on the head. I love trying new things. Anything that's going to give me a different way to think about something or a different way to look at the world, like I, I will try most things. Um, I've never had a desire to jump out of a plane. Um, and surfing is still something that is not high on my priority list. Uh, but that's but but right. most things I, I kind of want to try. And I, but I will say that in my, in my later years, I'm less um, ambitious when it comes to the type of risks that I want to take. Uh, I, I, I found a, a nice little groove where I, I enjoy um, just kind of, I guess, the, uh, just kind of enjoy the peaceful life. <laughs> So it is that balance because I do turn it on. When we're on the bike, it's like, let's go. But <laughs> you when are. the bike is done, I'm okay with chilling at home and being super content. <laughs> I, I guess it's like a place for everything because you don't have to be, you don't have to be like 1000% all the time. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm actually, I'm enjoying not going out, like not having an arm for a little bit. I mean, it seems kind of weird because I love going out and love cycling, but. Oh, yeah, I'm enjoying yeah. doing a little sitting back and relaxing and getting in touch with things, you know, do, putting things I put to the side. Now I'm going to take care of because I don't really have any excuses when I'm here. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are no excuses now. So you kind of have more time to handle things. And you mentioned that you like uh, that you that you re re uh, you kickstarted your journaling projects. Is that correct? Yeah, I started writing more. Um, <clears throat> something I've been told by a lot of 
I have a very, I feel like I have a lot of conscious individuals in my orbit who think and, and have things to say. And I always, I'm like, man, this person has something really deep to say. And I love that. And usually the answer, and I'm like, why, how, like, what are you doing? What's the, what's the key? And usually the answer is, well, you really just spend time with yourself reading, but also journaling because there's stuff in there and there's subconscious stuff. There's like dream journaling. I heard is such a big thing because, you know, some, you know, those mornings where you just wake up and I know this is common, but you just don't remember anything about your dream. Yes. And then like you walk into the kitchen and you, grab a box of cereal and you're like, oh shit, I was on Mars last night. Right, right. Like everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you're like, what does the cereal have to do with Mars? And you're tracing the bowl of cereal all the way back to your Mars dream. <clears throat> so how and long? journaling will just kind of help unlock some of that cool stuff. Oh, so you actually noticed the difference about being able to unlock the things that you dreamt or thought about through journaling. I'm definitely not so much that, but I, but I feel like I should do, if I did it first thing in the morning, I would. I haven't really been doing that. That's what I'm going to try to do. But just writing in general, I'll have thoughts. Sometimes I'm walking and I'll just have a bunch of thoughts. And I'm almost like I should bring a journal out with me. And maybe I'll start doing that once I have two arms. But I feel like now I have to go back home and write. Like, oh, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about that. You know, there's so many thoughts that go through our mind that sometimes we got some jewels in there that we just toss right. aside because we we just forget about it or we don't think it's important. That was me at least. And I want to start getting digging into those those potential jewels or just knowing myself that much better. Right, right. So, I completely yeah. agree. I think you know everyone needs to find time to just be still and spend time with themselves. Uh, I, I think there's, that's the best mm. thing that anybody could do. Uh, yeah, that's at the top of my priority list. And I'm kind of curious, you said you're around a lot of conscious individuals and they've been dropping some, some deep nuggets on you. Uh, what, what's, uh, can, can you share some of those nuggets you've been getting there, Summer? You know, it's, I don't know if I can think of a specific nugget, Oh, here's one. Here's one. I signed my, my boy Dave uh, yesterday. I'm on my walk, actually. We don't get a lot of time to talk. Um, you know, as we get older, you have friends who have kids. Yeah, yeah. And then they just, like, just disappear into the ether, and then all of a sudden, like, you hear from them every once yeah. in a while, and you're like, I have to take this call no matter what. We were talking on the phone, and he actually produced a whole album during this whole period of quarantine. He has two kids. He's doing homeschooling with his wife. Um, honestly, I don't know how he does it. That's what I'm always, and he has his own business. So he does his own business at the same time. I'm like, how did you produce an album? Have your own business, take care of your kids, homeschool them, and like also be a loving husband as well. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. And then always is the most calm person <clears throat> when you speak to him on the phone. So we're talking about uh, time. And Oh man, what did he say? And I know I should have written this down. See, this is one of those things you should have written down, but he actually came up with it at the moment. And I was like, man, how do you think of this? And we were talking about time. He was like, most people are thinking about where they want to be, but they don't realize that the, the seedling and the oak tree are the same, the one and the same. But everyone's like, oh, they're waiting to get to that oak tree before they act, or they're waiting to get to some point before they act, or it has to be this way before something happens. 
And he's like, the, the seedling and the oak tree are one and the same. And I, I and, and at some point I was telling him, hey, there's like this painting. Um, I think it's Michelangelo, I'm not sure, but it's called the School of Athens, where it's got like all the different like philosophers and astronomers. It's all European focused, but still fascinating. It's like got all the philosophers from Greece all the way up to the Renaissance. It was painted during the Renaissance, but it kind of represents that time is happening at all times. It's not something where you, because this person died, doesn't mean that what they, their influence isn't still acting today. So it's got like, you know, astronomers and scientists and philosophers from the 16th century interacting with Greek philosophers at the same time. And they're all kind of having this school of thought and conversation together. So it's kind of like a, a symbol of, of the simultaneity of time and how time is happening all at once. <clears throat> and then we started talking about how time is basically, it's how we try to figure things out. Can't remember exactly what he said, but he was like, time to a fly. If a fly has one day, I guess flies live one day. So like time for a fly, they basically have all four seasons, multiple times in one day. For us, um, it's with the time, what we call time. And then trees probably look at us and they're like, oh, look at those humans. They'll be gone pretty soon. But it's that kind of view of time depending on what kind of creature you are and that time is as cliche again to say a cliche thing time is relative but he said something like this this is the whole point this i think this is what it was he said he said you know what time is time is the ability for you to enjoy yourself time is the ability to enjoy yourself so is it safe to say that if you're not enjoying yourself, then you don't have time or you're not experiencing time? I might've butchered the way he said it, but <laughs> I think the point he was making was that. <laughs> so, so don't, I probably butchered it, but it was, it was, the point was if you're taking a road trip and you're going from like here to San Francisco and you're like excited because you're about to do something really cool. Let's say you're going to an amusement park or something, or you're going to go see, go to Big Sur, you're going to go look at mountains and trees, and you're so excited. So you have this five-hour drive or six-hour drive, and during that time, you could be anticipating something, or you could be enjoying those moments. Mm -hmm. And so that time is that time to enjoy yourself, enjoy and enjoy that that time is the ability for you to enjoy mm. that moment. Something to that degree. Yeah, no, Something I completely agree. I completely agree with that. And it's almost like you can say that whenever you're anticipating something, then you are taking away from the uh, enjoyment. You're, you're taking away from your enjoyment model. So maybe if you're, let's say, let's say you have a cup of enjoyment and like mm. whenever the cup is full, that means that you are fully engaged in the moment. And if you're thinking you're anticipating something in the future, or maybe it goes the other way too, if you're, you're reflecting on something in the past, then you're, it has to come from that cup of enjoyment, which only exists in the moment. Is that, is that fair? I like that. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. Yes, that's good. Yeah, that's it's like being and, present yeah. is something that I've I've really been paying attention to. It's like how often am I not present? Like how often am I not fully engaged in what's in front of me? And it's like I, 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 it's and it's 
you know, there, we're thrown, so much is thrown at us with TV advertisements and media and social media and text messages and phone calls. It's really, it makes it very difficult to fully engage in, um, in like the present moment. And so I was thinking about it and I was like, uh, and I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm using you to think out loud. So I appreciate you letting me ramble Absolutely. for a minute. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, it's, uh, it's like, I was thinking like, well, people that are like, who, who, what, in what space are people like, do you see people really enjoying themselves? And like, I guess you can say like, when you go to like a, like a party, if you go to like a bar and there's a really good song on it and everybody's dancing, it's like, they're really enjoying it. And mostly it's because they're all there. They're not really thinking about like, where they're going later or what happened earlier in the day. I mean, you know, the guys might be thinking about like if they can get this chick home tonight, you know, but outside <laughs> right. of that, you know, they're really enjoying spending time in this space with this person in front of them. So I think that maybe that's an example of people really enjoying the present moment, maybe movies. I think movies has a, uh, has a really great way of taking people away from the future and the past and really locking them in. To the moment yeah maybe art maybe art in general yeah no you're right yeah maybe art in general definitely music i think the dancing i think dancing as well just getting in that rhythm and getting inside of your your moment and really getting in that moment there's got to be good ways to do that and i think that i wonder if every moment can be as precious as a dance floor or every moment can be as precious as you know a good movie why do why, why do we have to wait for the movie or wait for the dance floor why can't we you know be in that moment like this podcast seems like a great medium for being in the moment like i feel like we're having a conversation about moments in the moment this is a beautiful thing yeah great Thank you, number one, and I completely agree. Like this is this is a great example of that, and I think that's the perfect question. It's like, why can't we? Why do we have to wait for the moment when we're dancing or watching the movie? Why can't we have a moment just like that right now? Like, what does it take to be in that same space of enjoyment, like every second of the day, or like, or at least at will? That's, I feel like this has been written about. I feel like it's, and I don't know a ton about Buddhism, but I feel like Buddhism is, is, uh, is uh, trying to approximate that. You're not anticipating heaven. You're not anticipating uh, hell. You're basically seeking the moment. Uh, I know there's a lot of deep Buddhist philosophical, philosophical statements, um, but I think, you know, I don't know how easy it is. I mean, not to, to change the subject too much away from that, but I don't know how easy it is to live in the moment in the kind of societal structure we have today. You know, it's mm -hmm. like you're saying, you've got the Instagrams, you've got the, the text messaging, you've got the advertising. I think things are intentionally, um, now I don't know if there's a master plan behind it, but intentionally moving you away from the moment because when you're in the moment, um, you're not looking at, this thing that wants to be marketed to you, or you're not seeking this thing, you're not feeling lack of and wanting more of. And I think that the society, the way it's structured is like, hey, you want more of this, because if you don't get more of this, then the economy's not gonna work. And if the economy doesn't work, then you know what, that's gonna happen. Stock market's gonna collapse, and, and you're just like, oh, and then all these pressures and, and stresses weigh on your mind, 
And so you, you are taught at an early age to stay away from the moment. Right. I don't know if that's true. I think I, I know it, that that it sounds completely true. It sounds, it sounds completely true. They're, they're filling your head with all of these, these promises or anxieties and fears, and it's not allowing you to enjoy what's in front of you. It's like the world is going to burn down next year. It's like, okay, but is it burning down right now? Like literally how does life right for you? Like right, right in this moment. Um, but that's, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that I'm going to have to really reflect on this because I, I think that's a great analogy for today's time. Cause I think you're right. It has been written about, um, numerous times throughout the ages and I, the Buddhists probably really get into it. Uh, but I think the, the, the analogies that you've used today are a really great, something that we can relate to people of our generation can kind of relate to. It's like, Oh yeah, I love dancing. It's like, how can I tap into that essence, you know? first thing in the morning or right before I go to, right before I go to bed. It's like, how do I tap into the essence of dancing and get that same, that same, you know, feeling without actually dancing, you know? Right. Hmm. I kind of wonder if there's a, the minimalist philosophy. I don't really know a lot about it, but I want to know more about it. But I feel like the less that you do have, the less you have to worry about. And I think that, is something that we don't really have to worry about. Most people in the US don't have to worry about because we have so much stuff. Mm -hmm. I took this ecology class, which I found very insightful, but they had all these different family units, what's considered a family unit in different cultures, take all of their stuff outside of their house or outside of their hut or outside of whatever they call their domain and dwelling place. And they set it all out and they took a picture of it. So they had like a family in America, they had a family in Japan, they had like a family somewhere in Africa, they had a family somewhere in like East Asia, and they, and they just compared what people had and, and how many objects they had. And it was actually quite amazing. Like the, the US family was kind of like a middle-class family, they had a lot of stuff. And you're like, man, that's a lot of stuff. The Japanese family had like tons of stuff. Like it was amazing, like they had a bunch of stuff. And then this, this family like from East Asia had like the pot, the, the family pot that everybody cooked out of. And then like the bowls that everyone ate out of, like five bowls and some cups that were lifelong cups. And they had some rugs and that was all their possessions. Wow. And they're just talking about, it had to do with the ecology uh, or uh, global warming and the environment and all of these things that we're faced with. And of course, this, the consumer society that plays deeply into uh, the use of raw materials, the use of uh, resources. And these are things that we have to tackle. <clears throat> but at the same time, I wonder if we might actually be happier if we had less things. And we just have been told that we need more because that's the way that the economic structure that we have wants us, needs us to. Like if we don't want more, then this economic structure actually couldn't really work. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The economic structure could not work without us needing more. That, that is spot on. And, 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 and to tie it into what we were talking about, like enjoyment and, and having so many things, it's like how many things around us like are literally, um, holding some of our joy captive 
Mm. For instance, like, you know, let's say it's a, maybe it's an Xbox or maybe it's Netflix or maybe it's, maybe it's, um, maybe it's, uh, you know, a favorite pair of shoes. You know, if like, if you take it away, it's like, how long does it take you to get back to that place of pure enjoyment? Like, how mm. much do you lose if it's, if you don't have access to it? So you're saying if you, if you were to lose those things, how would you be able to get back to the pure joy? Yeah. Yeah. Like at least, cause I mean, you, you will, obviously time allows you, time says you will, but like if, um, you know, uh, for instance, let's say like if someone, uh, came and took away your bike, they literally took it and they said, you know what, we're banning you from biking. We're just going to pass laws that say summer can't bike. You can do everything else anymore, but you can't bike. Hmm. How long would it take me to get back to the sense of joy? Yeah, like being okay without it. That's a good question. I don't know. I and it doesn't have to be a bike. It could literally be anything, you know. Yeah, I kind of that's feel kind like of the bike. Denominator. That's true. That's true. But that actually is a fair thing because what is a what I consider joy in a bike, someone else might consider joy in, you know, a um, a uh, ouch. Yeah, a couch, right? <laughs> or a Ferrari. You know, or a, a Bugatti. Ferrari, exactly. Or a Bugatti. Seriously. You know, yeah. let me, I have to grab my charger real quick and my computer's about to run out of battery. I'll be right back. Okay. The podcast Ricky mistake. Oh, that's all good. I don't have plenty of them. I, you know, I got plenty of them for everybody. So. It's nice to add another life. It's nice for it not to be me for once. <laughs> and I know we're coming up. Uh, I know we're coming up on an hour here. So how are you on time? Oh, wow. I didn't see that. Man, talk about time. Time flies, I tell you. I lost track. When, you, when you're in the moment. When you're time in the flies. moment. It does. <laughs> when you're in the moment. <laughs> okay, we're all plugged back in. Yeah, um, but yeah, no. Highly we, interesting conversation. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm glad you were interested. I was fascinated by it. Um, you know, we can definitely do a part two when you have more time next time for sure. I would love to, man. Yes, indeed. I actually highly enjoyed this experience, and I think what you're doing is really cool. And I think that we need more of this. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah. For sure, brother, man. Anytime. Let me know. Um, I hope to see you back on the bike, though. I know we didn't get back into where that ultimately is headed, but um, I know we both like fitness. We got a trail run, and then we got to take that up on the future discussion. We will take that up on a future discussion, and I am looking forward to our trail run, sir. <laughs> Sounds good, bro. <laughs> All right, man. Good luck on your exam. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, later. Peace. Later.